Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So today's sutta in our structured study of jhana meditation is the Anupada Sutta. Uh, the subtitle is Ending Fabrications One After Another. And in this sutta, the Buddha uses the example of Sariputta um, for his um, development of jhana meditation. Uh, I don't know if I, if I mentioned uh, to this particular class uh, Sariputta and Moggallana came to the Buddha shortly after uh, he began his teaching career. Uh, they both um, awakened, gained arahantship uh, within about two weeks. The story is that Moggallana awakened first and then Sariputta came uh, shortly on Moggallana's heels. But they were both very important uh, members of the Buddha's, of the original Sangha throughout the Buddha's teaching career. And they both, all three of them died around the same time. Uh, Sariputta was someone who would, te- who would teach often. Uh, Moggallana preferred uh, more of a uh, hermit lifestyle, uh, but he would be called in for very specific suttas. Uh, this one um, relates very closely to last week's sutta, Rohogatta Sutta, uh, ending fabrication through jhana. This kind of builds on that. And it relates directly, you remember, to the uh, two classes we had on dependent origination, uh, which states that from ignorance of four noble truths as a requisite condition comes fabrication. And from that interaction then leads, according to the Dhamma and the Buddha's words, to all manner of stress and suffering. So if we can find a way to recognize and interrupt the formation of fabrications, which leads to a conditioned quality of mind, if we can do that, then we, can, we, then we can return to that place of understanding Four Noble Truths rather than ignorance of Four Noble Truths. So these are key teachings that are founded um, in the Eighth Factor of the Eightfold Path, or Right Meditation, Jhana Meditation. And you'll notice, um, Shay, this might be just a little obscure to you, just in verbiage, I, I know you understand the process, um, that in our meditation practice, jhana meditation is the practical example of the ongoing process of awakening that we employ off our cushions. We first establish it on our cushions. And so on our cushions in meditation, when we find that we're distracted by feelings or thoughts, we, we learn this through the, uh, the Satipatthana Sutta, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, when we're distracted by feelings or thoughts or a thought attached to a feeling, meaning an emotion, we simply recognize that we're distracted and we come back to the sensation of breathing. That practice that we do on our cushion can now be taken off our cushion and we can employ this deepening concentration to develop refined mindfulness that now allows us to hold in mind all eight factors of the Eightfold Path in our moment-by-moment life. So off our cushion, as we find that we're caught up in a fabrication, we have now developed concentration, jhana, to the point where we can recognize what we're doing to ourselves, And so we can end our fabrications by ourselves one after another. In this moment, 
this is where all the power of the Eightfold Path comes into, into play for us. We are doing this for ourselves. We're not dependent on something else. We're not dependent on grace or merit. It's our own direct practice of integrating the Eightfold Path and recognizing and abandoning fabrications one after another. Now, let me read the sutta. On one occasion, the Buddha was staying in Savati, in Jita's Grove, Anatha Pandika's monastery. He addressed those gathered. Friends, Venerable Sariputta is wise. He is of great, deep, and penetrating discernment. For two weeks, Sariputta, now the Buddha is talking about when Sariputta first came to him. For two weeks, Sariputta, secluded from sensuality and from unskillful mental qualities, meaning he was engaging in jhana meditation, gained profound insight into unskillful mental qualities one after another. So that's an important teaching. This isn't some generalized teaching, but we recognize our own fabrications one after another. And at first that might sound pretty ambiguous. How do we do that? Well, the Buddha is going to teach us. Sariputta entered and remained in the first jhana. Remember, we went over this last week. The first jhana is characterized by rapture born of seclusion. It is accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. That Again, we went over this last week. Rapture is simply joyful engagement with what we're doing in Dhamma practice. And directed thought and evaluation is just that. In the beginning practice of jhana meditation, my mind is distracted, so I need to direct it back, a directed thought, back to my breath. And we always, human beings, are always judging what's occurring, and so we're evaluating our practice right off the beginning. Right from the beginning of jhana practice. But as we deepen our concentration, that evaluation of our practice falls away. The qualities present in the first jhana, directed thought, evaluation, rapture, pleasure, concentration, contact, feeling, perception, intention, consciousness, desire, decision, persistence, mindfulness, equanimity, and attention were recognized one after another. That's a long list, but what the Buddha is describing there is just generalized human qualities that we'll recognize, or maybe not, but they're still present in, the, in a human being. And these will arise and pass away. There's nothing special about any one of these individual qualities, but they, they will arise, they'll distract us, and through jhana we'll take a breath and, and let them go so that we'll be able to deepen concentration even when they're present. Is that clear to everyone? This is just the beginning of jhana meditation, but a, a long description of what's occurring when we first take that, that initial breath in jhana. Sariputta, wise, of great, deep, and penetrating discernment, or wisdom, clearly saw the arising, the establishment, and the passing away of these mental qualities present in the first jhana. Meaning he simply, as a meditation practitioner, Sariputta simply recognized that he was distracted by contact, a sound or a smell. Or he was distracted by evaluating his deepening concentration. Am I doing this right? Is my concentration deepening? Or some other, some other sensation or mental quality. And so we recognize that in our first jhana. What do we do with it when we find that we're caught up in it? We simply take a breath come back to the sensation of breathing. He noticed how these qualities arose and came into play and vanished. 
Sariputta is noticing impermanence, the first mark of existence. He's gaining insight into impermanence. So we're not gaining insight into the impermanence of the physical world so much as that's important as Dharma practitioners. But on a deeper level, we're gaining understanding of the impermanence of our own thoughts and our own thought constructs, which then lead, lead us on a deeper level to the impermanence of our own views of self. And once, like Kandana did when he heard the Buddha's very first teaching, the Dhammachakapavatana Sutta, when we can recognize the impermanence of our own mental constructs, our own fabrications, we'll simply abandon them. And it is just in that direct way, one after another, that we develop the qualities of arahantship, of an awakened human being. Having entered in the first jhana, rapture born of seclusion, accompanied by directed thought and evaluation, Sariputta remained free of attraction or aversion in regard to these qualities. Free of attraction or aversion. It simply means that I have now, using my breath, to depersonalize my experience, whatever it is that's coming up, arising and passing away, I recognize it as a distraction because I've personalized it. I've created a self-reference over whatever this thought or idea or construct is. And in jhana meditation, in jhana meditation, I'm saying this to make the point, not on our therapist's couch, not in a, in a discussion with someone, in jhana meditation, we recognize that we're distracted by it. We take a breath and we let it fall away. It's simply abandoned in that direct way. In this way, we're gaining control of our thoughts, something that nobody wants to do. In fact, it's almost taught today, conditioned thinking, that it's anathema, to, to, that we shouldn't be doing it. We shouldn't try to control our thoughts, that there's something wrong with it. Siddhartha Gautama understood that even 2,600 years ago as it was taught then. Most spiritual and religious practices then and now are taught to distract us from what's occurring rather than be present through depersonalizing what's occurring in my mind in this moment. Whatever is arising is also passing away. When I recognize the impermanence of it, I'm no longer grasping after the maintenance of my own ideas of myself. Sariputta remained independent, detached, released, dissociated, and free of any barriers arising from attraction or aversion. So the Buddha is simply describing the accomplished Sariputta in meditation and in his humanity recognizes the common distractions to all human beings, recognizes them and abandons them, abandons them one after another, and so deepens his concentration. That deepening concentration allows him to move into the second jhana, or the second level of meditative absorption. Having entered into the first jhana, Sariputta understood there is deeper concentration. Sariputta understood there's a deeper level of concentration. What the Buddha is teaching us through Sariputta is it's not just sitting on our cushion. Despite what one of the biggest branches of modern Buddhism would say, it's not just the mind only. It's not just sitting in meditation. And after teaching for a dozen years or so, I've realized how hurtful that can be for many people. I've gotten a lot of calls from people 
that didn't realize that just entering in a meditation practice with any structure can often deepen any issues that we are already present in our minds. Because all that we're doing is focusing on what is distracting or confusing to us in the first place. There's no structure to recognize the confusion that I've developed in my own mind through ignorance of Four Noble Truths leading to a fabrication. Sariputta understood there is deeper concentration. He pursued this path and realized ever deeper concentration by continuing with jhana meditation. Now the Buddha is describing that process. Sariputta, secluded from sensuality and from unskillful mental qualities, meaning jhana meditation, with a stilling of directed thoughts and evaluation, moving past the first level of jhana, he entered and remained in the second jhana. So we've all experienced this during our own jhana meditation. And again, the, notice the Buddha never put a time frame on meditation, a, a meditation session or these levels of deepening jhana. He didn't say Sariputta entered the first jhana for eight minutes and then he entered the second jhana for 14. There's no time frame because the time is not important. What's important is recognizing that our concentration is deepening. We start out with directed thought and evaluation. And as we continue our jhana meditation, our directed thought and evaluation falls away and we enter and remain in the second jhana, free of grasping after the second jhana. These deepening levels of jhana meditation are not to be grasped after, they're simply be, to be recognized. <clears throat> Excuse me as the Buddha's teaching here, as ever-deepening levels of jhana. With the stilling of directed thoughts and evaluation, Sariputta entered and remained in the second jhana. This second jhana is characterized as rapture and pleasure born of concentration. So initially, it's rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. We begin our practice by disentangling ourselves from the world, finding a secluded, quiet spot, and beginning our practice. Because we understand what we're doing, we have a joyful engagement. We are rapturous about the establishment of seclusion, or at least we should be. If we're, ent if we're engaging in meditation in some kind of um, a grudging way, or I have to do it, that's not the right attitude to have. We're engaging in jhana meditation because we know it leads directly to our liberation. And therein lies rapture or joyful engagement with my practice. If it's not there, if we don't recognize it, recognize that it's not there and generate it. It's a feeling that we can generate. If it's not there, it's, it's simply because we haven't taken true refuge. And there's a, we talked about that and there's articles on the website about that. Rapture and pleasure born of concentration is the second jhana. So what's the subtle difference between rapture and seclusion and rapture and concentration? It's understanding that, yes, I'm engaged in a practice that is deepening my concentration. How do I know it? Because I recognize the deepening levels of concentration. That's the sole reason the Buddha teaches these deepening levels of jhana, just to recognize. So we have our own benchmarks for our jhana practice. The Buddha continues, the mind united in the body, free of directed thought and evaluation, and internal assurance... Sometimes the Buddha would use the word, or I would restore it or translate it this way, 
as an internal poise. And it's that ever-deepening level of internal poise that is characterized by deepening concentration. If my mind is well concentrated and now framed by the Eightfold Path, I have developed inner poise. I'm confident in the way I'm living, my, my, I'm living in the world because I understand myself. I'm confident in what it means to be a human being. That's inner poise. The qualities present in the second jhana, internal assurance, directed thought, evaluation, rapture, pleasure, concentration, contact, feeling, perception, intention, consciousness, desire, decision, persistence, mindfulness, equanimity, and attention were recognized one after another. So our humanity is still with us. Again, the reason why this is important is the Buddha is teaching us, and I hope I'm teaching it, that we're not using meditation to escape our humanity. We're using jhana meditation to deepen our concentration of what it means to be a human being. Not to travel to some magical, mystical plane within our own minds. Not to fabricate yet another level of distraction. But in this moment, on my cushion, to be deeply immersed in what it means to be a human being. And in jhana meditation, what it means to be a human being is to be mindful of of my breath. What it means to be a human being in jhana meditation is to have my mind united in my body. And when it's not, to recognize it and bring it back into it through my own directed thought. Not through something magical or mystical, not something bestowed on me, not something God-given or Buddha-given, not something that I can develop because I'm a good person or I have the right beliefs. I'm doing it through my own Dhamma practice. Saraputta, wise, great, uh, wise, of great, deep, and penetrating discernment, clearly saw the arising, the establishment, and the passing away of these mental qualities present in the second jhana. And we are doing the same in our jhana practice. Every time we find that we're distracted, and we don't have to classify them exactly as they're classified here, but every time we find ourselves distracted in our jhana meditation and abandon the distraction and come back to the sensation of breathing just that way, we are practicing jhana meditation as intended, and it will deepen our concentration. Saraputta noticed how these qualities arose, came into play, and vanished. How do we do that? by doing just what we do in jhana meditation. We recognize we're distracted by a thought, a feeling, or an emotion. We, we recognize the attraction. We simply let it go. If we find ourselves caught up in a disturbing thought or a thought construct, that's, the, that's just the, the other side of the same coin known as aversion. In jhana meditation, we don't try to figure out where this thought came from or who to blame or what's wrong with me for having this thought. We don't try to escape the thought. We don't try to massage the thought. We don't try to learn from the thought. We simply recognize the distraction, come back to the sensation of breathing. And having entered into the the second jhana, rapture born of concentration, free from directed thought and evaluation, Saraputta now remained free of attraction and aversion in regards to these qualities, these qualities present in the second level of meditative absorption. Saraputta remained independent, 
detached, released, dissociated, and free of any barriers arising from attraction or aversion. And remember, the Buddha teaches that attraction or aversion, greed, aversion, and deluded thinking are the three common defilements of humanity. They're common because it is by the it is through the maintenance of greed, aversion, and deluded thinking that we continue our stress and suffering, the first noble truth. Having entered into the second jhana, Sariputta understood there is yet deeper concentration. He pursued this path, meaning the eight, eightfold path, and realized deeper concentration. He simply continued with his jhana practice within the framework of the eightfold path. Sariputta, secluded from sensuality and from unskillful mental qualities, with the fading of rapture and remaining equanimous. So now the joyful engagement with the Dhamma or jhana meditation is fading. It doesn't mean that I'm it doesn't mean that I'm disappointed. It simply means that's no longer there and a deeper level of concentration is now present. It's characterized by equanimity. Equanimity is a balanced quality of mind. There's no longer any grasping after. Equanimous, mindful and alert, sensitive to pleasure. That's that's not grasping after sensu- sensuality. Sensuality and sensitive to are two different things, aren't they? Now I'm only sensitive to pleasure. I recognize when pleasure arises and passes away. In this le- in this level of concentration, it's no longer a distraction. It's simply an aspect of my own humanity. Sensitive to pleasure in the body. He entered and remained in the third jhana. The third jhana is characterized by the noble ones as equanimous, mindful, resting in a pleasant abiding. And I would ask every one of you that, that if, have you felt that? Have you found yourself resting in a pleasant abiding? Has anyone not? That's the third level of jhana. The reason why I'm pointing that out is, there's, again, there's nothing magical or mystical. There's nothing in jhana meditation that an ordinary human being, I'm one of them, cannot attain. This is an ordinary quality, this third level of jhana. There's, there's nothing advanced about it. It doesn't take um, special abilities. It doesn't take any special techniques. It doesn't take a special teacher. It just takes concerted and determined dhamma practice. Sariputta, wise, of great deep and penetrating discernment, clearly saw the arising, the establishment, and the passing away of these mental qualities present in the third jhana. (coughs) He noticed how these qualities arose, came into play, and vanished. Again, it's important to recognize the impermanence of our thoughts and our mental constructs. They arise and pass away. When we can recognize it on our cushion, then when we're caught up off our cushion and tangled in the world again, we recognize, wait a minute, this is just another fabrication. As the Buddha taught Bahia, we'll recognize, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. And in our moment-by-moment life, off our cushion, because of our deepening concentration, we'll be able to take a breath and disentangle ourselves from the distraction in that moment, from the stress in that moment, and unite our mind and our body in a practical way off our cushion in our moment-by-moment life. That's an experience in, this, in the moment of arahantship. For most of us, it won't last. It'll take a little bit more practice. 
But it's important to recognize this both on our cushion during jhana and off our cushion that we're able to do that. We, we've all talked about this, and again, I, I've mentioned this a few times. One of the reasons why we structure our classes this way is so we can talk just about exactly this. Why is restraint in this moment, in my life as my life unfolds, practicing the Dhamma? Having entered in the third jhana, equanimous, a pleasant abiding, the qualities of concentration, sensory contact, feelings, perceptions, intention, consciousness, desire, decision, persistence, mindfulness, equanimity, and attention were recognized one after another. In other words, again, I'm recognizing my own humanity. They're no longer a distraction. Remaining free of attraction and aversion in regards to these qualities, Saraputta remained independent, detached, released, dissociated, and free of any barriers arising from attraction or aversion. And I could add, this isn't in the sutta, arising from attraction or aversion to his own fabrications. They're no longer present. Having entered into the third jhana, Saraputta understood there is even deeper concentration. He pursued this path, the Eightfold Path, and then did realize that deeper concentration. So along the way, we don't stop anywhere. We don't take satisfaction within a fabricated Dhamma. We understand there's ever-deepening levels of concentration. Furthermore, with the abandoning of joy, rapture, with joy and distress, with the abandoning of pleasure and pain, greed and aversion, Saraputta entered and remained in the fourth jhana. The fourth jhana is characterized by the purity of equanimity, or refined mindfulness. It's the same equanimity that we developed in the third jhana, but it now persists. But, it's, but it is merely that. It is merely an ever-deepening level of concentration now that we can, now we, we, we can recognize that as equanimity. It's a calm and peaceful quality of mind. Again, that's how the Buddha described an awakened human being, didn't he? Their quality of mind is calm. He never described that awakened human being's mind in any magical or mystical way, any non-human way. Calm. And how does that calm develop? It develops out of understanding what it means to be a human being. And if I really understand, truly understand what it means to be a human being in this human world, why wouldn't I be calm? What could possibly trouble my mind if I understood what's occurring right here and right now? And a better way to say that would be if I understand who I am in this moment. If I understand what it means to be a human being being mindful and well-concentrated in regards to what's occurring in this moment, no matter what it is. If it's a, mind, if it's a moment rooted in jhana meditation, that's what it is. If it's a mind rooted in a discussion with another human being off my cushion, that's what it is. If it's a mind confronting a, a worldwide pandemic, that's what it is. If it's a mind having breakfast, that's what it is. If it's a mind petting its dog or teaching a meditation class, that's what it is. It's a mind resting equanimity. Each moment is a moment of calm. Why? Because I understand what it means to be a human being. And so when we can understand ourselves from this fourth level of jhana, 
then our lives are simply a reference point to what's occurring. This is how jhana meditation leads us to that ongoing quality, that fourth foundation of mindfulness, that persists moment by moment. The Buddha continues, now there is no evaluation regarding pleasure or pain. Notice the Buddha saying, now there is no pleasure or pain. There is no evaluation regarding pleasure or pain. We understand as a consequence of having human life, there's going to be pleasurable moments and painful moments. But my mind will remain calm and at peace no matter what is occurring, no matter what quality there might be to what's occurring. And so, since I'm not identifying with pleasure or pain, I will no longer grasp after anything that I deem is pleasurable, and I will no longer have aversion to what I think is painful. How does the Buddha teach, start teaching his, his entire dispensation with four noble truths? There is dukkha, and then he describes it. Dukkha, or stress and suffering, is, is, is not getting what is desired. Dukkha is, dukkha is birth, dukkha is sickness, dukkha is aging, dukkha is death. Dukkha is not getting what is desired, dukkha is receiving what is desired, or stress. And the Buddha was always concluded that by saying, in short, the five clinging aggregates are dukkha. The five clinging aggregates are the Buddha's description of the ongoing personal experience of, of stress and suffering. So through deepening concentration and understanding this process, I am disentangling or, or um, ending the clinging of the aggregates. I'm no longer clinging myself to the world. Saraputta Wise, of great, deep, and penetrating discernment, clearly saw the arising, the establishment, and the passing away of these mental qualities present in the fourth jhana, <coughs> Excuse me. He noticed how these qualities arose, came into play, and vanished. Having entered in the fourth jhana, established an equanimity, abandoning evaluation, abandoning evaluating pleasure and pain, an internal calm, a pleasant abiding, the qualities of concentration, sensory contact, feelings, perceptions, intentions, consciousness, desire, decision, persistence, mindfulness, equanimity, and attention were recognized one after another. Saraputta remained free of attraction or aversion in regards to these qualities. He remained independent, <clears throat> detached, released, dissociated, and free of any barriers arising from attraction or aversion. Excuse me. <coughs> Having entered into the fourth jhana, Saraputta understood there is deeper concentration. He pursued this path and realized there is deeper concentration. Furthermore, Saraputta abandoned self-identification with form, with, with, with perceptions, I'm sorry, with form. He abandoned self-identification with forms, with perceptions, with aversions, with aversions and that all disappeared. Now Saraputta perceived the dimension of infinite space. Saraputta entered and remained in this dimension of infinite space. The qualities present in the dimension of infinite space, the perception of the dimension of infinite space, concentration, sensory, etc. I'm not going to read them all again. Were recognized one after another. He noticed how these qualities arose, came into play, and vanished. 
Sariputta remained free of attraction or aversion in regards to these qualities. He remained independent, detached, released, dissociated, and free of any barriers arising from attraction or aversion to even this, meaning the dimension of infinite space. Now, there's other, I'm not going to read all of these because the next ones are the dimension of uh, neither perception or, ne- or non-perception, a dimension of nothingness, etc., etc. All of these non-physical or magical or mystical realms that were taught as part of a Dharma practice during the Buddhist time and taught almost, almost in every modern Buddhist practice that I've come across as the goal the Buddha taught us 2,600 years ago they're just fabrications. They're just a distraction from ever-deepening concentration. I'm going to skip ahead. Excuse just to find my... So we recognize... That grasping after anything, that's what these, these next four, four categories that I'm, I'm not reading, because they all relate to mystical, non-physical realms. The Buddha teaches that they're just as much of a fabrication as any of the other fabrications that we develop. They're all rooted in ignorance of four noble truths, recognize them and abandon them. Furthermore, Sariputta, having abandoned the perception of the dimension of neither perception nor non-perception and all the other magical, mystical realms, entered and remained in the, in the cessation of the perception of feelings, meaning now we're no longer driven by grasping after. Upon this realization, the qualities of a mind arising and grasping after greed, aversion, and delusion were completely abandoned. Once we abandon grasping after any kind of fabrication, any magical, mystical, or imagined establishment of of a human being, meaning trying to be anything other than what I am. And by the way, that could be trying to be anything other than a meditation teacher, meaning in this moment, I have to be the world's greatest meditation teacher or I won't be happy with myself. That's still just as much of a fabrication as thinking if I pray long enough or bow long enough, I can establish myself in some non-physical Buddhist heaven. It's all a fabrication. It all distracts us from this moment, from what it means to be a human being, and is always stressful. Upon this realization, the qualities of a mind arising and grasping after cessation, greed, aversion, and delusion were completely abandoned. Fully mindful of his attainment, he he regarded the impermanence of all of these past qualities. All of them. And this was true... When I finally understood what the Buddha was teaching, this is the experience I had of my Buddhist practice up until that point. Fully mindful of his attainment, he, re- he regarded the impermanence of all of these past qualities. They arose, they became an experience, and they passed away. That allowed me to start deconditioning my mind that was conditioned from my past experiences in modern Buddhism, modern spirituality, New Age thought, etc., etc., etc. All the things that I have been grasping after literally my entire life, but even more so when I started grasping after Eastern religion understanding that led me to Buddhist study. Sariputta remained independent, 
detached, released, dissociated, and free of any barriers arising from attraction or aversion. He now understood there is no deeper concentration. He pursued, he pursued this path and realized there is no deeper concentration. If any person were to speak rightly and with skill, were to say Sariputta has attained mastery and perfection of noble virtue, noble concentration and noble wisdom. That's, a, that's, the, that's the Eightfold Path. Wisdom, virtue, and concentration. Sariputta has attained mastery and perfection of the threefold noble eightfold path and has a, a pain, attained noble release, release from views, ignorance of four noble truths. If any person were to speak rightly and with skill were to say, Sariputta is born of the Buddha's words. In this way, he is the Buddha's son, his offspring. Sariputta is born of the Dhamma, has awakened from the Dhamma, his inheritance, this is, I just love this line. His inheritance is not of worldly things. His inheritance is my Dhamma. And our inheritance from 2,600 years ago is still this Dhamma. Sariputta, my friends, has taken the wheel of the Dhamma, set rolling by me, the only wheel of the Dhamma, and he keeps it rolling in authenticity. This is what was said by the great teacher, those that were gathered were delighted by his words. That's the end of the sutta. So again, the Buddhist, it, it's a rather um, lengthy sutta and rather repetitive like many suttas, but the, the, despite the uh, relative complication, it really is simple. It's pointing us to the wise restraint of this moment. Through concentration, I'm able to hold in mind refine mindfulness, the entire Eightfold Path, and when I find myself distracted in any way by greed, aversion, and deluded thinking in this moment, not from the past, something in the past, or something that might happen in the future, in this moment, I can recognize it, take a breath, unite my mind and my body, and abandon the fabrication that's occurring. And in this way, I'm able to become a fully mature, awakened human being. Ending fabrications one after another, both on my cushion, and now that I've developed that, and I, have, I understand the framework of the Eightfold Path, I can take that off my cushion and apply it to moment-by-moment life. That's today's, class, that's today's talk. Uh, Jeff, what do you have to say for yourself today? Uh, hi, John. Good um, to see you. I feel like I'm making real progress with my uh, meditation practice, but it's still contemporary for me. Uh, I still catch myself being carried off on thoughts and uh, a lot of self-evaluation. You know, as soon as I catch myself, I tend to say, oh, well, that wasn't very good. You know, it's... It, it, it's a hard habit to get out of. That's the evaluation but, part, yes. Yeah, yeah. But but as far as my, personally, as my concentration and my uh, understanding, I feel, is is progressing. Have you noticed a, a, a moment or two of uh, equanimity, of calm? Oh, absolutely. That's the third uh, and the fourth jhana, so... And I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but the, the, the whole reason to teach these deepening levels of jhana is so that we know 
that we're doing it right, that jhana, jhana practice is actually deepening our concentration. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. No, no, that's that's fine, John. It, it, uh, you know, I, I feel as though I recognize, not necessarily at the time, and I, I, I try not to actually concentrate on what I'm on an evaluation or a labeling of what I'm experiencing. Uh, it, it's more, um, uh, it, it's more of an after the fact. I can yep. say, okay, this is what I understand now, as opposed to, oh, here I am, and this is this, and this is that, and I'm yeah. at this point or that point. It, that would seem counterproductive completely, but. Yeah, again, you're describing the, the, the movement from the second to the third and fourth level of jhana because you no longer now have to put a label on it to give it validity. You know, that, that, and again, it's a form of eye-making to have to put a label on it's good, bad, you know, whatever it might be. It's just my experience. And again, you're describing jhana practice the way it should be. Thanks, Jeff. I got it. Tom, how are you? Um, good, thank you, John, yeah. Um, thanks for the teaching. Um, I, um, I'll pick up on something that, that came up, which was just a good memory, uh, a reminder for me, sorry. Um, I think, I think, um, the sutta says one after another, we develop the qualities of arahantship. So the qualities of being awakened, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a really good reminder for me that you don't, it doesn't all come immediately. Um, and um, it, it's a reminder to be a bit calm to yourself, that you're sort of building something step by step yeah. or brick by brick. Um, and I, it was interesting how, you know, this practice, obviously the purpose of it is to bring it out into the real world. But I, yeah. I just got back this morning, actually, from Spain, um, and I was doing a... Um, a series of I was doing lots of tennis tennis lessons out there so um long story short I I've kind of lost uh, my, my my game has gone a bit bad recently so I went out there for some lessons and I I my coach gave me like 13 or 14 different things so just with my tennis swing there were f- I, I I wrote them all down eventually on the final day and I was getting so frustrated with myself because I couldn't I, my shots were going all over the place and I wasn't playing as well as I should be and all that sort of stuff. And then I realized I wrote down, I had 14 different things to think about when I was hitting this switch, you know, swinging. And um, it, 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 I was getting frustrated and I was kind of, you know, um, you, you know how tennis players do and they get, they sort of mouth off or something. And it's, it's a really good sort of um, in that moment of trying to, play tennis and being frustrated by it was a good it's, it's almost a sort of a microcosm for life isn't yeah. it where you know we're we're hit with all of this stuff in the in 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 um through the teachings of the of the buddha and there's 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 many things uh i mean not that many but there's still in there's too much for you to sort of it's difficult to take it all on board immediately and process yep. and do everything but you you gradually become more and more familiar with all of the different teachings and then you gradually process it and 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 it becomes a part of your life. Just like hopefully one day I'll process my tennis, all of these ideas that fit into my the ideal tennis swing and I'll and it will become a bit more 
automatic. Um, but in the meantime, I've just got to keep practicing and and stay, you know, continue to be kind to yourself, right? Yeah. And uh, allow yourself the mistake every so often. Um, yeah. And just keep trying to iron it out. So anyway, that was just what what the teachings kind of brought brought home a little bit uh, based on my experiences the last few days. Yeah, that, that's it's beautifully said, Tom, because it, it, it's a, uh, anything like that, but certainly what you described in learning tennis or, or deepening your understanding of tennis is a good metaphor for what we're doing here. And it, it, it's just a matter of keeping doing it and then it becomes very natural. But in the beginning, and it even relates to what we're talking, in the beginning you have to direct your thought. And you're, when you learn, you, you want to learn tennis, you have to direct your thought to, to the tennis until you're out there playing and then you're not thinking about it too much, are you? And the Dhamma is that way. You know, we, we, we first, we apply this discipline. You know, we're disciples of the Dhamma. We apply the discipline and then we're a- able to apply it in my life as my life is unfolding. As I'm getting ready to, to whack the ball, I can practice it because I've taken the time to develop it. So thank you. Shay, welcome to our, our Sangha. Hi there. How are you? I'm doing okay, thanks. Would, would you like to add anything to today's class? What did you think of it? You don't have to. Just feel free. Nobody has to, has to participate. I'd like to hear what you have to say, though. So, um, when I first started meditating, I just... Uh, I had no um, teaching. I just read Joseph Goldstein's book on insight meditation and started sitting. Um, uh, this was in the early 90s and um, just really became aware of all these things um, quite quickly that you have, you, you, you've just uh, talked about in terms of the jhana practices and especially um, noticing, um, you know, thoughts arising and passing and um it wasn't something that took me a long time and i didn't really think i thought okay that's very interesting i'm able to observe my mind and um as my practice uh deepened over the years and then really beginning to um learn uh, more about the dharma dhamma and um you know the three characteristics, the four noble truths, or you know, the, all the different lists in a sense. Yeah. Um, it sort of, for me, came as a, you know, you talking today about the giant state. Um, I never had a kind of extraordinary sort of rapture, like you know, whiz bang, pop lights, and you know, oh my gosh, this is amazing uh, type of feeling, um, yeah. and. Um, over over my lifetime, I suffered from severe depression as well. So to access joy has um, often been difficult for me. Um, so I was interested as you went through. And one of the things that I learned in the last retreat on the Anapanasati um, Sutta was that not to dis- disregard subtle experiences of joy, not to discard... Yeah subtle experiences of um, uh, um, tranquility and peace in one's mind. And those are, again, things that I had experienced through my own meditation practice and and yoga practice as well. 
And but I never regarded them as jhana. I mean, ah. so perhaps you could just you know um, touch on that or explain that because that's something that I've never quite put, been able to understand um, what this ex- these experiences were. But I never thought of them as jhana because you know I had this sort of image of jhanas as these you know deep absorption concentrated states. And the other thing I just want to say before um, I stop is that it's very interesting to me how um, many, many teachings begin with insight practice as opposed to uh, concentration practice. And if you think that uh, shamatha and samadhi, um, you know, are the preparation for vipassana, then, you know, coming from the vipassana, I would thought I was going backwards, but in a sense, I think I may have experienced some concentration right at the beginning without even realizing it, because mm-hmm. um, yeah, insights came very fairly rapidly. Uh, but so there, I'll stop there. Um, oh, but, sense. <laughs> you, you said a lot, Che. Thank you so much. The um, yeah, the 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 Buddha just. The Buddha didn't teach Vipassana the way it's taught now in modern times. It doesn't mean that it's a you know a wrong practice. It's just different than what the Buddha taught. Um, and it's everything that he taught is rooted in this concentration, but it's so important to recognize, and there's a lot of suttas where the Buddha teaches and I teach, um, to, to recognize the benefits that are developing. Because then our practice becomes self-encouraging. We recognize that. We, our minds are more calm and at peace. We're more present for the, the things that are occurring in our life with other people. As an aspect of Dharma practice, it's important to recognize all those. Uh, again, it just becomes, then our practice becomes self-encouraging. And we talk a lot about that uh, during our classes. It's one of the points of our discussion here, to talk about the benefits, the practical benefits of practice. Excuse me. You mentioned the Anapanasati retreat. Are you talking about the Anapanasati retreat on on our website, or is it another one? Uh, this was one uh, led by teacher Shaila Catherine. I okay. No, I could, there was one that oh. we recently did. It's on the website. I was just wondering yeah, if you were referring to different. that. Yeah, this was a Barry, yeah. yeah. Good. Well, I, I'm glad you joined us today, Shay. <laughs> Devlin, hello. Do you, you feel like saying a few words? Um... There you are. Yeah, I, uh, I, I apologize. I don't have anything uh, to add to the conversation today, except that I, I appreciate listening to everyone's comments. Yeah, I'm glad you joined us today. I hope we'll talk soon, right? Um, uh, maybe after uh, this class? Uh, I'm, I'm going to be speaking with someone else after this class, but if you want to make it... Uh, uh, how about later on this evening, around seven? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Just, Thanks. Yeah. Just uh, send me a text or something on that. Okay. Great. I'll talk to you later. Hello, Jordan. How are you? Hey, John. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Bodhi. Um, Come here. I don't have anything to add to the, the teaching today, so you quite um, quite straightforward and quite repetitive. Um, Stop it. Come here. I don't find I'm. Um, when I this time last year, when I was doing the the first the first lessons, the introductory lessons, every every single time there was something 
almost like a wow moment. Oh yeah, that completely makes sense, or I see how that that fits in. And now it seems like that. Well, I was writing notes every single lesson, and now it seems like there's it's kind of I know it, but it's just repeated in different ways and yeah. kind of told in different examples. Um, which is which is useful, but um, yeah, um, I wanted to add that um, on last Saturday when I was in Greece, kind of inspired by um, you, Matteo, saying you wanted to go to to a cave and, and meditate, and I went um, up to the church on top of a mountain um, behind uh, behind where my, my parents live, like that thousand meter high mountain, and went there in the afternoon and just meditated and. Nice beautiful view over everywhere and um I just was like without my phone and distractions I spent the night there and left in the morning and I'm still struggling with with meditation to 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 concentrate for more than four breaths at a time I kind of count them and that's my limit and I'm trying to I'm trying to improve and I'm doing it every day but just yeah being taking time out of life is something I never do taking time away from anyone and anything and any distractions so so yeah i just really enjoyed that i wanted to do it for longer but it was just very cold and rainy it would have been very hard to do that for much longer yeah are you in, so, yeah. Uh, in general are you meditating twice a day um always once a day maybe 50 percent twice a day all right. I mean, it's a good idea to you know just keep doing that. Meditate twice a day as much as you can. That second sit is important. Uh, and are you listening to the guided meditations from the website? Uh, I just do have a ten minute timer. Uh, you you might want to try listening to the guided meditations. Um, it, it's the same as you'll hear here. You will hear yeah. here. Um, and you try to let go of counting your breath because it really isn't that important. You know, what's important is that you just keep coming because the acquiring the fifth breath and the sixth breath then becomes or can become a distraction to just being just come back to your breath because it is just yeah. that there, there's no there's yeah. no real goal in meditation, jhana meditation, except to deepen concentration. And we do that by simply coming back to the sensation of breathing. So, But you're developing yeah. jhana as it as intended too. So. I guess it's just. When I mentioned I was struggling with it, like it was last month or something, I wanted to have then a benchmark to see if I was improving or if I if I was yeah just to, it's good to I thought it would be good to have a number of um, time or number of breaths until I get distracted. But um, yeah, maybe it's not good to have a competition with myself. Yeah, if you just, just keep doing the using the practice, maybe using the guided meditations from the website. Uh, your your concentration will deepen. It just you know it, it just will. Um, do you notice that? Do you recognize going from the first level to the second level to the third level in your meditation? Um, no, I haven't really brought brought that into my mind. All right, yeah. Now, now I mean, again, that's the reason why we teach these. Now, be mindful of it. I mean, it would mean just recognize it when it happens. Don't be grasping after it. It's not a Again, it's not a goal mm-hmm. to go from one to two to two to three, but it is important to recognize it. Again, because that that becomes uh, self encouraging to our practice. We're recognizing the benefits. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thanks, Jordan. Hello, Matteo. Hi, everybody. Um, I don't know what else I can say. Um, so I was 
think about, about like the four the four level meditation then in somehow I guess what's the European in somehow I guess we should transfer them in our life in our daily life or it's just a, a meditation practice because like, I don't know I'm, sometimes I'm very conflicted even when I hear comments on people I don't know maybe I'm wrong but it's like it seems that we have to use meditation or Marty, stop it I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't hear it. It seems that we want to use meditation and Buddhist teachings to, as a tool to make our life more bearable. And I was thinking like, uh, I, I was thinking like, it's me that I have to adapt to the Dharma, not by the other way around. So it's like, uh, yeah. sometimes I'm become, that's why it's my cave issue the last time. Like, by the way, I find it. So in April, I moved to my cave. It's not exactly a cave, but very close. I have Wi-Fi in the kitchen, so that's okay. <laughs> it's a mod. <laughs> and so, and uh, that's a, that's my issue, though, because sometimes I like I feel like okay, we come to the class, we listen everything, I understand everything of that, and we do meditation. But then, like, it, it's my reality is like um, I don't know. It, it it's difficult to use in my reality. That's Again, I repeat, that's why I want to go in this metaphorical cave, because it seems like, so what, what's the point? What's the point? If I like I meditate and do everything, but then like I don't feel equanimity outside my, my, my Buddhist study and meditation, I don't feel at all that. Uh, it, it sounds like a pat answer, but the answer is to continue with your Dharma practice if you've truly taken refuge. And, and again, the, um, no one and no thing can convince any other. I, I, I've, been do, I've been teaching long enough to know that I can't convince anybody of doing this, of practicing this way. But I also know that the only way that a person will continue is if they recognize the benefits themselves. Again, we're not doing anything on faith. And that's one of the reasons why the Buddha teaches these deepening levels of jhana, so that we can recognize off our cushion that, yes, I'm, I'm developing a, a deeper level of concentration. I am more calm and at peace. Uh, in a practical way, in a practical way, my life is better because of Dharma practice. Um, and the only way to do that is to engage in the, in the practice the way it's taught. Uh, the reason why I'm saying that is you mentioned, do I adapt the Dharma to fit me or do I fit to the Dhamma? We fit ourselves to the Dhamma. In other words, the Dhamma or the Eightfold Path becomes the framework and the guidance for our life. If we're to use the framework and guidance to awaken, we'll use the framework and guidance as it's taught. So it begins in jhana meditation. And again, we've been through the four foundations of mindfulness, etc. We understand how to establish mindfulness in jhana. And then off our cushion, our our continuing practice is just what you're doing. To learning more about the Dhamma, to listen to the repetitiveness, there's a lot of it, and keep applying it. You could say week by week, class by class, but also moment by moment through our own practice to our life, because that's how it works. So, I, again, I'll ask you, Mateo, do you notice these deepening levels of jhana in your meditation? Oh, yes, yes. That's no problem. I think like I'm... Uh... I'm a good boy, so I follow all the the teaching. I do meditation for many years. I never skip one day, all this stuff. But uh, what I notice, and I, maybe it sounds negative what I, I said before, but 
for no. me it's not. So I really, I really don't care more and more what's going on outside of my house or my my mind. So it's like uh, that's it. Like for me, it's something positive. So it's not. I'm, I'm not looking yeah. for next big things. I'm not looking for if I'm fine, if my mother is fine, my friend is fine. It's like it doesn't mean I hate them. Just like yeah. I. Accept reality how it is so i don't i don't ask myself all these things anymore yeah yeah you're describing a, a mind resting in equanimity those the, the things are those things that you mentioned are still important to you you your your mom's health is still important but you won't lose your mind over it in this moment you'll stay present with life as life unfolds this is dharma practice the, you know and i'm not again i'm not saying this is what's occurring with you. In general, it can happen to some people as they start deepening their understanding of where the Dhamma is taking to taking us. It can almost seem like annihilation. Like, what? Where, where is the me in here? But that's the whole point. It's the me that is prone to stress and suffering and distraction and confusion, meaning the eye-making, the fabricated view of myself. So you are developing and experiencing... Mateo as Mateo is living his life rather than a fabricated view of Mateo that would be reacting to what's occurring. It is just that experience. And it's I, not to put words in your mouth, but I would say it's worth the price of admission, no? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so to, to, to kind of summarize this, this is another teaching on jhana. There's, a, there's quite a few that are uh, somewhat this, this detailed. But it's important to understand that all of the information that's in this particular sutta is the Buddha's description of what we're dragging around with us in our own minds. It's all an aspect of the story that we keep telling ourselves that it is our responsibility as Dharma practitioners to recognize the distraction of our own story, of the ongoing eye-making, and simply abandon it. Because then we're living in the, again, I don't mean to, to characterize this moment in this way, except to say, then we're living into the, into the breath of this moment. Because it is in this moment that my life is occurring. This is where I want to be. When I was a little boy, I was confused because I didn't know how to live my life. It was always put, put to me that I was, my life was somehow related to the past and the future, but never right here and right now. And there's always stress that way, isn't there? But now we learn through jhana meditation and through right view, from, through seeing things clearly, the magic of this moment. And the magic of this moment is simply being present for this moment. That's all that there is, isn't there? So, um, any other questions or comments about this class and where we're going here? Okay, we'll finish with, with uh, meta as we always do. Uh, and we're going to continue uh, our jhana structured study uh, next week. I just want to mention I think that. Tom, John. Yes. I think Tom wants to say, I was just going to. No, it was actually something I was going to. Um, I was just reflecting actually on what Jordan said earlier um, uh, because it's something that um, I went through a lot as well, um, where the very first time. I discovered like meditation and I had these moments of like, I had lots and lots of aha moments, right? Like, whoa, okay, that's really what, you know, how did I miss this all my life? And it was really mind blowing, right? And then, and then, um, 
previously in my practice for many years, because I was often searching for different meditation practices, I was then always, I was always Googling the next meditation, to, you yeah. know, the new, a new speaker. I was reading a new book and I was just, I was all over the place because I was, it was actually a subtle form of create. I was craving a new formula, yeah. right? I was craving, I still wasn't quite okay as I was. And so I was like, oh, I need to get this, you know, there must be something else. There must be something else. It's this sort of savior complex that yeah. I had. I was looking for some, a new teaching to save me and make me feel better. And what I've realized, and there is a lot of repetition in this, but that's actually the beauty of it is that it's, there is nothing more. This is it. Yeah. And for me, at least my experience of it is the practice. I've heard most of what John says before. And yet the, uh, and there was a period where I was coming to class. Where I was like, Oh, I'm not learning so much anymore because it's not new anymore. And yet the, just a little switch I made in my mind was rather than, listening for new information like a new theory or a new whatever it was more reflecting each time how does this teaching relate to my life and how i've lived it today or how i'm living it right now or what i'm feeling right now and then suddenly the the teaching comes to life again because then you suddenly start you know like that analogy i gave of playing tennis was it was where it came to life for me today right but then next time it will be something else in my life it will be a relationship it will be work it will be whatever and so that for me is you've, you're we're basically, and then you can say, well, why come? Why come here? Well, it's because being here puts you in that frame of mind to yeah. potentially reflect, right? Yeah. And then that because if I wasn't sat here listening to John or wasn't, and I probably just wouldn't do it. Oh, I might, you know, be tempted to just go and watch TV or whatever. So anyway, so that's what I get from it, and that's why every class I I do go. It's important for me because I do learn something new, even if it's not. It's not externally something new. It's more how it relates to my life is what is completely new each time uh, and very, very relevant. So anyway, just, I just thought I'd share that. Um, yeah, sorry no, to... that's a really good comment. That's, that's, that's really helpful. And also from what you were, you were saying um, before or another time about um, the importance of doing the reading before because I find if I am in the class and thinking, oh, how does that relate to me, then I miss the next thing because it's... It, right, it, yeah. It, kind of moves quickly so yeah I, I yeah need to do a bit more of kind of slowly analyzing the, the the readings before the class I think and then to refresh them in the class to to go over them and then bring my personal experiences yeah, and even make a little diary personal diary entry like pick up on I often just pick up on one or two things from the suitor each time and I'm like oh that's the one that's speaking to me right now mm-hmm. that aspect is yeah is speaking to me and then yeah another time we'll be saying else but yeah it's helpful thank you well well said tom and and, you know the the this is a discipline we 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 are disciples has a religious connotation but we are disciples we're practicing we're we're engaged in the discipline of the dhamma and so it's just like that it's it it is repetitive it takes uh, ongoing practice that's why we have classes uh, every week. Yeah, and it is effort, and it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, but and but it's just like that too. That 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 uh, it's almost like the theme that we've had here in this class. It's recognizing in this moment where I'm applying the Dhamma, and that's something completely different than anything I ever really practiced. Because it was the 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 immediacy of the Dhamma uh, became apparent when I was practicing this, and you know the, the Buddha taught he awakened to 
that what we talked about a few weeks ago in the Paticca Samuppada Sutta, you awaken to dependent origination. That, that is, from ignorance of four noble truths that leads to fabrication that leads to all manner of stress and suffering. And he described that as four noble truths, as a lack of understanding of four noble truths. So everything the Buddha taught was in the context of dependent origination and four noble truths. Every sutta that I teach that are restored on the website is in that context. So they're all repetitive in that way. They're all based on the same subject matter. But they all are situational. And and they're always applicable to something going on in my life. It's, it's never surprising, or it's, it's, uh, it's often surprising, it's not surprising to me, how often students will say, yeah, that sutta relates to what's occurring right now. And, it's, and they're completely different situations, but the sutta relates, because it's, we're talking about an understanding of what it means to be a human being, not something outside of ourselves. So they're always applicable. It's always meaningful. Thank you, Tom. That was really excellent. You can see why you're you're going to be a teacher one day. Um, we finished with meta, yeah. as we always do. Can I ask, um, with the meta, could you do a little bit more slowly than, than normal? I, I will. Thank time. you for saying that, too. Uh, and I just want to say, we're going to start, I know the timing won't work out for many of you, but uh, our Tuesday and Saturday class, starting this Saturday, we're going to finish out the year with six classes uh, on karma rebirth and the meaning of intentional becoming because they're very important and very misunderstood teachings, especially karma and rebirth. Uh, so if, you know, if you get a chance to join us, please do so. If not, I should to try to catch up on it because it's got to be a great series of talks. And we'll finish with the Buddhist words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, 
the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.